Most people would agree, I think with rare exception, including people like you and your friends and your family, probably most people you've met would agree about themselves if they thought this about themselves or if someone said this about them. We would all agree, I think, with this statement. I'm not perfect. Wouldn't you agree? I think you would agree about yourself. Oh, I'm not perfect. I mean, I mean, nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect. Who, who's perfect? Of course not. Of course not. I mean, that's the classic excuse, right? It's our way of embracing mediocrity. Well, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. That was supposed to be funny, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah perfect. You missed your cue. Uh, embracing mediocrity. Oh, no, of course not. I'm not, I'm not perfect. Who's, who's perfect? Not, not me. We have other ways of saying it, though. Maybe you don't say it like that. Maybe it would sound a little bit more like this for you. Well, I got room to grow. I mean, everybody's got room to grow. I mean, don't, I haven't arrived. It's not like I've arrived. I got room to grow in my marriage and as a parent, as a friend, in my job, in my career, with my health. I got room to grow, even though I've grown enough. I, you know, I, I've got room to grow in my, you know, where I want to go and my goals and aspirations. And that's probably why you have New Year's resolutions. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, which that's what a follower of Jesus is, by the way. If you're a follower of Jesus, a Christian, you probably have even another way that you might think of this. And whether or not you say it, you, we would think, you know, well, I'm not like, it's not like I'm saying I'm like Jesus. I'm not like Jesus yet. I mean, I'm not like, I got room to grow. And after all, I mean, nobody's perfect. So I'm not like Jesus because we know that's the goal, right? We know that's, that's the whole point. And, and so I, I, you know, oh. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not there yet. See, have you ever wondered, then, what does God do with us, <laughs> then, in this crazy situation we find ourselves in? What, what is God supposed to do? Because when we're not perfect, and when we're not like Jesus, so the way I see it, God's got probably three different options. Number one, he could eliminate us, because after all, we're not perfect, we're not like Jesus, and we're, we're just, you know, using his excuses and all this kind of stuff. So he could eliminate us, which he's not going to do because we're all still here. Number two, he could ignore us and go, oh, no, you guys are, it's so frustrating. You're, wa you're a waste of my time and energy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find some perfect people, or I'm going to find some people that have their act together. I'm going to work with people who really want to get with the program. And, and he's not going to ignore us because he promised to always be with us. So he actually has a third option, which is the option that we'll see he takes. He's not going to eliminate us, not going to ignore us. What he's going to do, he's going to change us. He's going to change us. He is going to work with us. Hopefully helping us understand that all of our lives should be a change in progress. And the idea here is that you and I would simply be willing to roll with the change. That's why we're doing this series. Now, if you're like me, you see the word change, you talk about change, you might have this thought or a thought similar to this. Well, people hate change, man. I People don't like to change. You know that. Pastor, I hope you know that if you're talking about change, you know, good luck with that because people just don't like change. That's not completely true. Here's what I think is true, or at least truer. Um, it's not that people don't like change. It's just people don't like change they don't like. 
People, more specifically, people don't like change that they don't want because they don't think it's necessary, they don't need it, they can't do it, or it won't help, it won't fix anything, so why try? Or I'm afraid, I'm fearful, I don't know what's going to happen, it's risky, kind of thing. Yeah, it's not that people don't like change, it's just they just don't like change that they don't like, they don't want. On the other hand, I think everybody, even those of you who say, I don't like change, even you, I think everybody, if you're honest, has at least one area of life, if not more than one area of life, where you actually enjoy change. The people don't like change that they don't like and they don't want, but they actually embrace change in areas that they really enjoy change again. If you think about it, you probably have an area or more in your life where you enjoy change. You kind of like shaking it up. You know, maybe you enjoy the change of seasons. I don't know, maybe you enjoy changing, you know, your, your clothing, what you're wearing. Hopefully, all of us enjoy changing a certain article of clothing. That's what your mom taught, especially in case you're in a wreck. So, yeah. Hope, yeah. Or maybe you're like, I love, I'm a foodie. I love changing, you know, food. I love trying new foods. I love change, shaking it up. And I know some of you, you're like, no, not me. I live in toddler mode. I eat four things. Okay, great. But for a lot of us, we enjoy trying new things. You don't like the change that you don't like, but there's probably an area of your life where you really enjoy change. I'm kind of both. I, I love change when it comes to church. I love change when it comes to church. I love trying new things, thinking outside of the box. Man, we'll try anything. We'll try anything short of sin to, to reach people and to connect with people. I love it. Man, they keep changing it up. I love it. I love it. Now, at home, I'm the exact opposite. I don't like change. And I discovered that about three months into our marriage now of almost 30 years, I come home. From work, Donna had um, beat me home, and, and I, I come home and to our one-bedroom basement apartment that we were paying $325 a month rent on, by the way. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I, I come home, and I find that all the furniture has been moved to different locations. Because I realized my wife was more of the artistic, free spirit, creative type. You know, I got that, but I didn't know how that would impact my day-to-day life yet. And all the furniture was moved. And I said, what, what's happening? She said, well, we've, you know, it's been three months. I was ready for a change. I just move this around, you know, and just make it look a bit, you know, a little more exciting. And I'm like, but I measured. <laughs> and the couch goes here because it maximizes the square feet of floor space that we have in this tiny basement apartment. And now you're catty cornering things and there's empty unused space in the corners so that, that, that's just I'm paying rent on that space and nobody gets to use that space I don't so we we had a discussion and a conversation about it and then we enjoyed the way she had rearranged the furniture <laughs> right so that's the way that goes and here's what I began to learn and hopefully you you're tracking with me on this I think I think you are is that change is actually a natural part of a healthy life, really. Whether you like it or not, whether you want it or not, it, I mean, it just is. Change is a natural part, things change. It's a natural part of being healthy. It's a natural part of being healthy physically. I mean, we have a word for when your body stops changing in a positive way and starts going the opposite way. It's called, oh, you're dying, right? So it's actually a change and growth is a healthy part of emotional life. 
We have a phrase for that. It's called emotional intelligence. A lot of people talking about emotional intelligence today. And it's also true spiritually. And when you and I decide to stop changing and stop growing, we become unhealthy. So a very healthy question for you to ask yourself, a wise question for you to ask yourself at the beginning of 2024, and it shouldn't be hard because you're probably already thinking these kind of thoughts. You're already kind of, you know, in the New Year's resolutions kind of mind, or maybe you're like, no, that was so last week. I get it. I got it. But here's a question that I encourage you, I welcome you, I challenge you, even dare you to ask yourself over the next few moments. How do I need to change? And you have your view on how to answer this. You're, you're probably already thinking about it. You know, the changes you want in your life, in your relationships, in your finances, in your job, in your career, with your health. You're probably already down the road a little bit in how you think you need to change. And maybe there's some of you here going, well, see, that's just it, bub. <laughs> I don't change. I'm always the same. What you see is what you get. You can always count. You, I'm, a, I'm a straight shooter, and I never change. I'm consistent. Okay, let me let you in on something. That ain't a badge of honor, dude. Don't tell people that, okay? I understand people like to say, oh, I never change. You always know what you get. I know, and we get someone who's not willing to change and not willing to grow, and you're going to be unhealthy in so many different ways. So that's not cool. So how do I need to change? You're probably thinking about this, but, but maybe you've never thought about it this way. What's God's view on how you need to change? You ever thought about that? It's time we think about that. I mean, it would be natural to think about that since you're sitting in church, you're watching online. So what's God's view of what I need to change, how I need to change? How does God see change in me? And how does God want to bring it about. Now, let me just go ahead and spoil this for you. Let me give you the spoiler. Spoiler alert. It's to make you more like Jesus. Just cut to the chase right here. To make you more like Jesus. That's what God's up to. That's what God is up to for every single one of you, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, even if you're not, even if you're not sure if you believe, I just need to let you know that ultimately, if you decide to begin following Jesus, this is what God wants to do in your life. He wants to help make you more like Jesus, which for most people, when they get to know who Jesus is, they're just like, I'm a, that, absolutely. I mean, what a guy. What a man. But more than just a man, more than just a guy. He's God in flesh and bone. He is the Savior of the world. That's what God is up to. So what is God's view of how you need to change in light of that? Wouldn't we all agree? Wouldn't we all just kind of assume that's, that's the most important thing in life, what God wants to do in our life? Wouldn't that be the most important thing in life, right? Because you're here because of God. You, you need to know that. I mean, you're not here because of you. You did not self-cause. You're here ultimately because of him. So why and what is he up to and what does he want? Wouldn't that be the most important thing? I think we all would agree, even if you don't believe in God, even if you're not sure, I think you would at least philosophically say, if God exists, I would say God's agenda is the most important thing. So we all agree. Then why do we push back on it? Why do we resist it? Why do we not just simply roll with it? I got a hunch. It's interesting and it's kind of convicting. You and I, would rather God change things for us than change us. 
That's true. I believe it's true. I know it's true for me, and I've done this pastor thing long enough to know I've never met anyone that this is not true for. I don't even know all the details in your life and how you think you need to change, but and how, and how God wants you to change. I don't need all those details right now. But I know that deep down, you would rather God change for you than change you. The stuff around you rather than your person. You see, we see things differently than God sees it. You and I are most concerned about our situation. We are, right? We're most concerned about our situation. That's why we pray. The way we do. God change that. God change this. God change them. God change, you know, uh, God make this go away. God make them go away. You know, all this kind of stuff. We pray, God change our situation. God make this better. Make my life better. Change the situation. And you need to know that God does care about your situation. But while we're most concerned about our situation, God is most concerned with our transformation. He cares about our situation, but he cares most about our transformation. Why we are more concerned with what happens to us, God is most concerned with who we are becoming. And often, often, God will use the situations that we wish God would change for us in order to bring change in us. I don't like that a lot of times. And you don't like that a lot of times because that's hard and that hurts and that's challenging, but that's the nature of change. Maybe that's why we resist it. Maybe that's why we're not so sure because we <laughs> know that sometimes change equals pain. Here's the deal. God's greatest work is not stuff around us. It's stuff in us. That's his greatest work. And so while we want God to change things for us, God says, yeah, 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 yeah. But my biggest concern is that you change, that you change that I change and that we change. And God will often use situations that seemingly are unchanging, that we're praying for God change this, God change that, God change them. And he's like, okay, but my biggest agenda is you. So how does God want to change you? The truth is, the truth is, is that the change I want around me is more connected to change in me than I could possibly imagine. And I can possibly understand and that I'm comfortable with more than I'm comfortable with a lot of times. And the same is true for you. And so what would it look like if we just simply decided to partner with God? In fact, that's what I want you to do. The next few moments when you're thinking, okay, God, what is your plan? What is your purpose in this area of my life? What, what are you, how do you want to change me? What kind of change needs to happen in my life as a, as a parent, as a spouse, as an employer, as an employee, the direction of my life, with my health? However, however, whatever you're thinking about right now, God, how do you want to change me in a way that I become more and more like Christ? As you're thinking about that, I want to challenge you to think about partnership, not so much agreement. I don't understand. Okay, I get it. There's a backstory here. Let me set it up for you. This is very important that we think about partnering with God and not trying to um, come up with an agreement with God. Back in the Old Testament of the ancient scriptures in ancient Israel, when God's story with mankind really began to take shape, it was all about, in the Old Testament, under what is called in the scriptures, the Old Covenant, it was all about agreement. 
God made an agreement with Israel. It started with Abraham and then specifically got kicked into high gear with Moses, with the law of Moses. It began with the Ten Commandments and then spread into like more than 10, like 613 laws and commands to help Israel establish their own, uh, you know, country and own government and own way of, of, of life in following God as God's chosen people. When God decided to introduce what he wanted to do on the earth, he started somewhere. He had to start with somewhere and he, just started, he decided to start with Israel. So it's a beautiful story. It's an amazing story. But the whole thing was kind of a, like a, a setup, really. Because the agreement sounded like this. God says, if you do this, then I will do this. And if you don't do this, then I will not do this. If you live this way, you can expect this in return. And when you don't do this, if you obey me, then you get this. If you don't obey me and follow the commands and you don't get this, that was the agreement. And God knew from the beginning, there's no way that ultimately we could hold up our end of the bargain. There's no way that ultimately we would be able, that Israel or the world or anybody participating in trying to keep up their end of the agreement could do it because we're all sinners. And ultimately, I'm most concerned and you're most concerned deep down with living my life for me and what I want and what I want God to do for me than I am living for him because I'm a sinner deep down. So are you. And so God, God just wanted to show the world, you can't, you can't do this on your own. Then, on cue, at just the right time, enters onto the scene of history, Jesus Christ. Baby, born in Bethlehem, lived a perfect sinless life, grew up to the point where he gave his life on a cross for the sins of the world, died and rose again. Here comes Jesus as the savior for all the sinners, which is all of us who cannot keep our end of the agreement in and of ourselves. We need a savior. And in Jesus, and when Jesus was on the cross, he fulfilled the agreement between God and mankind. He fulfilled it. He fulfilled it. He completed it. And then invites us into a partnership. No longer an agreement. He fulfilled the agreement. It's not a, if you, then I, Jesus said, I have, I have done it. I have done it all. Now I invite you to trust me and to allow God's purposes to go to work in your life. It's called the new life that Jesus brings. Now, what's interesting about this, and here's like, well, that's fascinating stuff. Thank you for that. But what's that got to do with me? Everything. Listen, listen. You and I, in ways a lot of times we don't even realize, we like to barter and trade with God. We like to barter and trade. And it sounds like this. God, if you will do this, then I will go to church in January and I'm two Sundays in. I'm keeping my end of the bargain. God, if you will do this, then I will do that. God, I'm only asking one thing. God, if you'll just answer this one prayer, if you will have her go out with me, if he will say yes, if they will say yes, if I get the raise, if I get the job, if I get the promotion, if the cancer goes away, if this, if that, if this, if that, then God, you can count on me. I am yours. I'll never ask you for anything else. As if God's like, oh, come on, right? And we barter and trade, we barter and trade, we barter and trade with God as if it's still about an agreement. <laughs> but but it's... It's not. It's about a partnership. It's really about surrender. It's not saying, God, I, 
I see that and I raise you this and I want you. It's like we're playing poker with God. It's like, no, okay, what God's wanting is for us to all chips in, all in, I'm out, or rather, I'm in to whatever you are wanting to do in my life, God. And I want to partner with you and roll with it. Yeah, yeah, it's not a let's make a deal kind of thing with God. I wrote this in my notes, and let me just read it the way I wrote it because I want to make sure I I get this right, and I want to make sure you understand. That God works with you to achieve his purposes. God does not work for you to achieve your purposes. This is huge. Because somehow and somewhere we got this idea that I've got my life and I want to insert God. I'm going to try to find a way to fit God in my life to make my life better. And I pray so that God helps my life go better. And I do this and I follow Jesus Church because I want to be blessed and I want my life to go better. And how can God help me be better in my business, right? So how can God help me be better financially? How can God help me do this better in, in my life and experience this better and have more and all that? And a lot of people in a lot of churches and unfortunately a lot of pastors, teach and present that God is here to just simply help you fulfill your purposes in life. I don't know where they get that. I don't know where they can find that. It's certainly not the scriptures, and it's certainly not what Jesus taught. In fact, let me say it again. God works with us, and the partnership goes like this. He works with us to achieve his purposes. We are here for him. He does not work for us. You do not have him on a retainer. He does not work for you to help achieve your purposes and my purposes. And the sooner we understand that, the better off we're going to be. It's what Paul in the first century describes as the work of the new creation in us. And it all is about change. This is how he describes it. He said, Jesus died for everyone so that those who receive his new life, who are like, I'm all in. All my chips are in. I'm I'm in. They will no longer live for themselves. Because doesn't that describe how often we approach God? Like we're living for ourselves and how can I fit God in? How can I get God to say yes to me? How can I get God to, to come alongside of me and make my life better? How can I get God to fulfill my life's purposes? So he says, no, Jesus came so that we will no longer live for ourselves. That's a dead-end way to live. That's what's gotten us where we are. No wonder we're in the mess we're in. Instead, he said they will live for Christ. They will live for him who died and was raised for them. And then he describes it. He said, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. That's change. A new person. The old life is gone. New life, the new way of living, the new way of seeing, the new way of thinking, the new way of doing life has begun. That's the work of new creation and that's what God wants to do in your life. And I don't even know what's going on in your life and I promise you, that is what God is ultimately wanting to do in your life. Bring about the new creation through the work of Jesus. The old way of thinking and behaving and living fades away and a whole new reality and how God wants to help make us more and more like Jesus gets set into motion. 
And that, my friends, is a process. It is a process of change. It involves stretching and challenge and leaving your comfort zone. And sometimes it is even painful. Yeah, the process of change can often be painful. That's why a lot of times we stiff arm it. And you're like, I don't know. And we have a phrase for it, right? We say, when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change, then we decide to change. Well, isn't that self-serving? And that's the way we look at it. But so we know it's painful at times. I'm reminded of something that over the last several years that I learned in the medical field, there is this, um, this thing called the Herxheimer reaction. The Herxheimer reaction, maybe you've heard of it. Sometimes it's, it's uh, shortened, the Herx, a Herx reaction. The Herx reaction, if you look it up, um, and, and this is just layman's terms, so it's much more medically astute than this, but the bottom line is, is that when certain viruses and bacteria begin to die in your system, they release um, chemicals and they release uh, on the atomic, subatomic level, gases and stuff, and some of you are like, well, that's my problem. No. Yeah, yeah, they they release like like stuff that actually makes you feel sicker, even though you're getting better. Now, let me say that again. You develop a feel a fever, chills, different, you know, sometimes a rash, reactions. You actually feel sicker, even though technically the bacteria and the virus is dying off, and you are getting better. Listen, when it comes to the work that God wants to do in you, that die-off, it's hard. That die-off, the dying off of selfishness and sin and my way and God, here's what I want to do and will you help me accomplish what I want to do? Because God, this is where I want my life to go. This is, where I, this is what I feel. This is what I think. God, I just need you to support that. That Getting, getting to a point where you let that go and come to God and with open hands and an open heart and an open life and an open mind and say, you change me the way you want me to be. God, you do a work in my heart. You do a work in my life. You make me more like Christ and understanding that can be a very painful process. The die off of that can be hard. Oh, but it's so worth it. Because after all, why are we here? What's most important, right? Your view of how you, go, you want your life to change and God to support that or how God, your creator, wants your life to change and adjust to become more and more like Christ in every way and the change that is necessary to achieve that. That's why we're alive. That's why we're here. And that's what matters most. In the world of software and technology, we all have learned to appreciate, even though it can be frustrating at times, the general idea of software updates, right? Software updates uh, usually, usually are a very good thing. Uh, bug fixes, better performance, new, uh, you know, things that it does before. Could you get the update? Or, or let me talk about it like this. Think of your iPhone for a second, your iPhone, right? Your mini-me. Think of your iPhone. That also was funny, and you missed your cue. Think your phone being a mini, anyway, a mini me. Think of your iPhone. And some of you are like, well, I don't have an iPhone. And if you don't have an iPhone, you're probably very proud of that. And you just be proud. But for the rest of us with iPhones, do you know that your, your iPhone, the, the version of the iPhone you have now, is so much different than the earlier versions of the iPhone, right? 
It just is. I mean, the old versions way back in the day, they don't even really work anymore. Uh, technology doesn't even support that anymore. It's just like they are obsolete. It was still an iPhone, but the iPhone you have today really is a completely different phone, even though it's called the same thing. And it may have some similarities to it, but the buttons work differently. The technology is different. And the camera is better. There's so much stuff that's better. And all the stuff that was like limiting in the old versions, I mean, that stuff's gone. And now you've got these new versions. Yeah, what's your point? That's what God is up to in your life. That's what God is up to in my life. You see, when we roll with it, when we come to God with open hearts and minds and hands and we just say, God, what change do you want to bring about in my life? Then on a constant and consistent basis, there should be updated, newer versions of you coming out regularly, regularly. Where the old versions are like, oh yeah, that was, that was oh yeah, that was the old me. That, isn't that what we just read? It says that when you come to Christ, the work he does in our life is that the old begins to fade away and a whole new way of thinking and a whole new way of behaving and a whole new way of living and a whole new way of doing life begins to open up. Yeah, when I work with God who is wanting to work in me and with me, there are all kinds of old versions of me that I look back on and go, oh yeah, I remember that day. That was like 10 Jonathans ago. I no longer think that, I no longer believe that, and thank God I no longer live that way. Oh, that was 15 me's ago. I mean, you're gonna have all kinds of old versions of you. There's always, here's the deal, for those of you that say, well, I never change, stop that. Embrace it. Come to God and say, God, how do you want to bring change about in my life? And then roll with the new update that he wants to do. Roll with the new version of you that he wants to bring out, knowing that he will give you his power and the ability to allow him to do what he wants to do. Yeah. So, here's what you should pray. At the beginning of 2024, why not? Why not just say, God, how do you want to change me? You say, well, I've tried. I don't. Okay, I'm not asking you. I'm asking you to ask God to do what only he can do. How, God, do you want to bring about change in my life? And it may, it may not be big, huge things. In fact, some of the greatest change often is small, incremental changes. But I, I don't want you to leave anything off the table, right? Because remember, you're not bartering and trading, right? You don't barter and trade with God and say, God, I'll give you my Sundays, but Monday through Saturday is mine. And God, I'll give you this area of my life and that area of my life, but this area of my life, you know, the money side, the financial side, that's mine. No, you know, no, you, know you don't, that's not the way it works, okay? When... When, when you surrender to God, you're surrendering to a friendly takeover. God, how do you want to bring change in my relationships? God, how do you want to bring change to my physical health? How do you want to bring change to my career? How do you want to bring change with these decisions that I got to make? God, how do, how do I need to change as a husband, as a wife? How do I need to change as a mom, as a dad? God, I know how I want you to change things for me, but God... You're not here to work for me. I am here to serve you. How do you want to bring change in my life? Secondly, God, help me partner with you. Help me not to fight it, stiff arm it, resist it. Help me to partner with you. And then God, what are my next steps? 
What do I need to do next? Because see, that's the journey. Rolling with it is one step at a time kind of thing. God, how, how do you want to change me and help me to partner with it and show me what my next step is? I mean, it's intimidating to think. Just help me know what to do next. For some of you, it's going public with your faith and trust in Jesus, deciding to trust and follow Jesus and going public with it through baptism. For some of you, it's just to no longer live for yourself, right? To, to really follow Jesus and serve and invest into others and volunteer. And for some of you, it's, it's to become generous and give. And for others of you, it's to get off an island of isolation and journey with fellow travelers. For some of you, it's to have a conversation you know you need to have. To forgive someone you're not wanting to forgive. To be patient with that person that you are so done with it. You're over it. To make that decision that you've been postponing. And you know it's going to be a painful decision, but it's the decision that you know God would have you make. In fact, let's do what we did last week. If you were here last week, let's end in a time of prayer. I want to ask you to open your hands. Just kind of place them in your lap. Everybody's going to do it so nobody feels left out. Nobody feels awkward. We're going to open our hands like this because, because that is a posture of, okay, I'm open. I'm open. I want to say yes to this. And, and ask God, God, how do you want to change me? God, help me partner with it and show me what my next step is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for inviting us into a partnership. You have already fulfilled the requirements in the agreement and done everything that needs to be done between us and God. All that's up to us now is to just be all in, to surrender, help us to stop trying to barter and trade and cut a deal with you. Who do we think we are? Father, we may not know how, we may not know when, we may not know where, we might not know how all of this is going to play out, but to the best of our human ability, with your help, we want to know how you want to bring about change in us, and we want to partner with you. If you could just show us what next step to take, and then give us the courage and the strength to take it. And I know that may look a little different for all of us, but what is the same for all of us is these next steps are more and more and more and more going to lead us to a life, a new life, where we're becoming more and more like Jesus. Lord, I pray this for me and all of us here. In Jesus' name, amen.